Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning and happy almost winter. We got some snow happening. Glad to see you guys are here. We can have the discussion. Um, I drive a four-wheel drive vehicle. I plan to be here. Um, if, if ever there's a morning and you don't feel like you can make it safely, be wise about it. Watch us online. Um, but we're not intending to, to cancel. Um, if the governor gets on and makes us stay home, we will. Otherwise, I'll be here, and you can be too. Um, if you're ever wondering, um, we've had, it would be a really weird situation, you know, a tornado ripped the roof off, something like that, um, where I would just cancel. But um, even if you are, like I said, if you are even serving and you realize that it wouldn't be wise or safe for you to come, just call and let us know. We're not trying to force anyone uh, to make a poor choice for themselves, but we are trying to be available for those who need ministry. So... Um, that said, I do want to mention that um, it is Veterans Day, or was this week. Um, do we have in with us today anyone who is or has served? Any veterans? Uh, we have one here. Um, all right. I just want to take a moment, and I want to say thank you. Um, many years ago, uh, I was on an airplane during, I guess it was right near... Uh, this time of year, and they handed us out cards, and they said, would you write a letter um, to a soldier, and we're going to take from all of the passengers, we're just, they were going to send these things, and so on that little deal, I wrote a note, um, and I'm going to read that to you, as many of you know, I like to rhyme, so this is what I wrote, but I feel like um, it's a good reminder, here it says, this is what it says, to every soldier, Though I never met you, I thank you just the same. I have so many freedoms, and for them, you're to blame. My whole life, I've been protected by soldiers just like you. Your names I do not know, nor exactly what you do. I go to church or speak my mind with no thought of who is near. In other countries, that can't be done, for there they live in fear. You make my homeland safe in countless different ways. You are on call day and night, and even holidays. My children, who are still so young, are served by the armed forces. Thanks to you, they will be free to make their own life choices. Every day I've been alive, somewhere a soldier worked. To ensure the freedoms I enjoy would never, or never would be shirked. Though I do not know you, I thank you just the same. You are a part of something great. To that, you can lay claim. So we just want to thank soldiers. So if you'll just join with me a moment, we're just going to pray a blessing on everyone who is currently serving and has served. Are you ready with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the people who have stood in our place, Lord, and who have, have fought enemies, foreign and domestic. Lord, we just pray that you would be with them. We ask that you would strengthen them. We ask that you would send laborers into those camps, that they would come to know you. Lord, we just pray your blessing on them. We pray your protection on this country and on every individual soldier. We thank you for those who served and are done serving. We thank you. We pray that that blessing would extend to them. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, I do want to note, there, we have uh, currently one of our church members here. Um, his parents are here. This is Beth Garcia's um, husband, Lucio and Ceci's son, Andrew, is serving in the military. And so if you would like to, um, there are some handouts in the information center that give what like a care package would require. We'll send one if you want to collect some of those items uh, for them. Feels, please feel free to do so. Obviously, you don't have to, but it's just something, uh, an opportunity to help and to serve and to, to put into action what we're thinking and feeling. So, all right, we're going to get started today. It's 10.03, and I feel like a person at the back of the car. You ever open up the back of the car, and you have a bunch of groceries there, and you're like, can I make it in one trip? Or am I going to have to make it in two? So, we're going to find out. I don't know. I, I'm skilled with like hooking a couple, you know, you can hook the, the plastic bags are the best because you can carry the most when you have them. But um, I don't want to rush this, so I'm not sure how far we'll get today in this message. But I want to start in John 15, verse 15. It says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We talked last week about the power of fellowship, and we were speaking about how that works amongst our peers and amongst other people. Today, I want to talk about our relationship with God. God says, I don't call you a servant. I call you friend. I want you to say this with me. I am a friend of God. Not only that, but he says he chose you. He sought the relationship with you. When we look at, at ancient and not so ancient uh, religions around the world, we realize most of them involve people seeking to get God's attention building pyramids and doing sacrifices on top of them and doing all kinds of, of things because they want God to notice them and care. God says, when you didn't care, I pursued you anyway. I sought you. You didn't have to be the... It, it wasn't you who chose me. I chose you. That concept, how we see ourselves, this is my question to you. Do you see yourself as a friend of God? And what does it mean? So many of us, we, if you're here today, I think it's safe to say you believe God exists. But there are a lot of people who believe that God exists, that he's out there, but they don't, they don't have a relationship with him. Well, God is the one who made up the rules that I'm supposed to follow, that I don't always follow, but sometimes I follow, and I hope I follow often enough to end up in heaven. And if I don't, well, I'll try to figure that out when I get closer to dying, and then I'll try to tip the scales. And I'll get... Like, have you ever met somebody who thinks that way? Like, that's not, 
That's not a friendship. So many people see God as this distant, transactional being. But God says, I've chosen you. He desires friendship with you. There's a, there's a story in the Old Testament. If you remember when the, the Israelites went to the promised land, you remember there's this whole big thing. God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to take you to the promised land. Woo, promised land, promised land, promised land. For years, they're looking for the promised land. They get there, and there's giants. And they come back. And I love the fact that they had the self-awareness to say it this way. And I'm sorry I don't have the verse reference in front of us right now. But... The spies said there were giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. I thought, how insightful is that? Most of us say that person doesn't, you know, that person thinks this. They had the wisdom to say, actually, I thought it first and now I'm convinced that they think it too. They said, I... We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. When we saw how big they were, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and they saw us as grasshoppers too. How we see ourselves matters so much. There's a a verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 21. says, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he's filled with food, and an unloved woman when she gets a husband. Now, here's something interesting. How many of you can quote to me John 3.16? All right, somebody start it. For God so loved the world. Who, who does God love? The world. How much of the world? All of it. Is there anybody in the world who is unloved? No, there isn't. But the Bible says that the earth shakes under a woman who is unloved. Is she unloved or does she think she's unloved? When when we believe something, we make the impact of it being real take place in our life. It doesn't matter if you're loved if you convince yourself you're not. My, my mother shares the testimony of her own marriage and says for so many years she believed that she wasn't loved and had excuses every time that my father would say, you know, I love you, be like, oh, you, you're a pastor, you're a missionary, you think you have to say that, you've got this and that, you don't mean it, you really, you know, all you mean is that you hope that I'll do something nice for you later. And all. She had all of this stuff just going on. She would not believe that she was loved, and she was miserable feeling unloved. We... If we see ourselves as unloved, if we see ourselves as unlovable, guess what? We, pers- we, we project that on everybody else, including God. If we see ourselves as unworthy, as unlovable, just like the, the, the Israelites, we say, well, I'm a grasshopper in my own eyes. They must see me that way too. I'm not worthy. So, 
they must. And we make excuses for people and we, we imagine that. There are so many people. The Bible says that the earth can barely stand the weight of a person who is convinced that they are unloved by the people who should love them. God says he loves you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you're worthy of his love? We recognize that we have, we have fallen short of God's glory, that, that there are reasons. How many realize there are reasons for each one of us for why we're not perfect? How many of you guys are not perfect? Raise your hand if you're not perfect. Ha! Here's the thing. God says, I don't care. See, your love, the love that he has for you, it's not based on how cute your smile is, how big your bank account is, how long you've managed to stay employed, or, or what grade point average you have, or even how many other people have loved or rejected you. Nothing to do with it. But if we believe that, if we see ourselves as unloved. Without even realizing it, we reject his love and the love of those that he has sent. You know what? Nobody's perfect. Your spouse is not perfect. Let me just tell you, period. They will not love you perfectly. Agreed. But I can, I can safely say of 99.9% of the situations here, they're trying are you letting them? God desires friendship with us. And I've read this verse before, and every time I read it, I always tell you it's one of my favorites. Here it comes. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Paul says, For I, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, he's talking to the people in this town. He says, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. He says, there's a God you don't know about. Here he is. This is the Cliff Notes version of who God is and what God did. Are you ready? God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them in the exact places they, they should live. God did this so that men would seek him. What did God do? He created the entire world. He, from one Adam and Eve, he created an entire race. He, he, he dispersed us across the entire globe, and he did all of that for a reason, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He chose us. 
He made us. His entire purpose for creating us was, I sure hope they reach out for me. Now, we recognize that he could have just made robots who on the, you know, whatever, the 745th day of their existence all said, God, I love you. But it says he wanted us to reach out for him. He says, I, I don't call you my servants. You're not, you're not my minions. I don't, you're not my robots. I don't force you. I invite you into relationship. I want you to reach out for me. So many of us are very familiar with the Old Testament concept of God, a, a holy, austere punisher, rituals, rules. And as I mentioned before, so many religions function with just trying to get God's attention. How many of you have uh, ever been to Mexico? Anybody ever been to the pyramids in Mexico? Yeah. All right. I've been there as well. The, the Sun Pyramid at Tetuacan is said to have had up to 20,000 people a year sacrificed. When there was a new temple to which Huitzilopitcol, it was dedicated in 1487, they estimate that in that one event, 80,000 people were sacrificed. You know why? Because they believed they needed to do that to get God's attention. They didn't know. Instead of requiring us to sacrifice, Jesus sacrificed himself so that we would have access to him. The Old Testament shows obedience was the key, but no one could accomplish obedience perfectly. So in the New Testament, his nature of love was revealed. James 2, 23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. In order to be God's friend, we need righteousness. Righteousness. We need right standing with God. The dictionary says righteous is morally upright, without guilt or sin. In order to have relationship with him, we need to be without sin. The simplest thing that has helped me in so many theological thoughts is just to recognize God's nature is holy. Sin is, is like oil and water with God's nature. Have you ever tried to mix oil and water? Have you ever poured some in and you just, it just stays on top? It just separates always? God's nature and sin are like that. It just, they don't coexist. Together, there cannot be fellowship and relationship between sin and God's holy nature. That's why it's necessary that we be righteous to have relationship. So, the sin in our lives had to be atoned for. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' purpose in coming was to take away that sin. God wanted relationship, but his nature doesn't mix with sin. But when we are righteous, when that sin has been removed, the Bible says that the cross made sin irrelevant. Holiness is still God's plan for us. Committing sin still has negative effects, but it no longer separates us from God. You know, if, if I disobey the laws and I go get plastered drunk and I jump in my car and I start driving down the road and I hit a pedestrian, I sinned. God forgives me. I'm no longer separated from God because of that sin. That person might still be dead, if it is that they die, they're still injured. I still have to stand before the courts of this city and receive whatever consequence comes down. Sin still affects my life. I may have my driver's license revoked for years. I don't, I don't even know what the standard punishment is, but I, I'm sure they're not going to be like, oh, God forgave you. I think you're good now. No, I will still have consequences for that sin. But spiritually, that sin, when I accept the forgiveness that Jesus gives, when I apply the sacrifice that he made on the cross for that sin, it no longer separates me from God. It has no bearing on my right standing with the Lord anymore. I am still a friend of God's. In John 8, chapter 10, or chapter 8, verse 10 and 11, they drug a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Notice, how many people does it take to commit adultery? At minimum, two. Bible says they drug one woman before Jesus. That wasn't cool. They brought one woman forward, and they said, what do we do? She's been in trouble. And Jesus says, in that situation, he said, those who have no sin throw the first stone. And the Bible says that he reached down the ground and he drew something in the ground, but the Bible does not tell us what he drew. Anybody ever tried to guess? But it, it says that the people left one by one, starting from the oldest, moving down to the youngest. It doesn't necessarily say whether he was writing the entire time or if he wrote one thing and then got up. I think he was writing several things the entire time. Here's what I think happened. You want to know what I think happened? I think Jesus looked at the oldest. 
He went down and he wrote something like Susan. Then he looked at her, or him. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm out. And then he wrote, you know, 54 Calvary Road. Looked at the next guy. And he's like, ooh. Because what did he say? He said, those of you who are without sin. And one by one, they each recognized that they had sin and walked away. And then he turned to her and he said, is there anyone left accusing you? And she said, verse 11, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is, this is God's perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled himself or us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. If you read that, Reconciled and reconciliation is one, two, three, four. I think it's five times. That's more times than I've used the word reconcile since my accounting class in college. We don't think in terms of reconciliation, that, that word very often. But here's, here's what the dictionary says reconciliation is. It says to reestablish a close relationship. To settle or resolve. To bring oneself to accept, to make compatible or consistent. You and I were not compatible with the presence of God because there was sin in our lives. We were that oily substance trying to to be with God, and his nature would not allow him to be in communion with sin. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross? The Bible says that he took on himself the sins of the world. And what did he say? Do you remember? He didn't say a lot on the cross. But he said to God, he says, why have you forsaken me? In that moment when he took on all of our sin, he had that sin, and the relationship, the closeness that he had had with God all along was broken. He was pushed out of God's presence in a a way of thinking because he took our sin. He died with our sin. But then he which paid for our sin, and then he rose from the dead. He reconciled. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
It is a belief, not a, fa- not a behavior. You are forgiven because you have accepted God's forgiveness. You have believed on what he did for you. That realization will have an impact on you. It will. But it's not about what we do. It says in John 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we're no longer unrighteous, then regardless of our past or our present, we are able to be in relationship with God. We are able to be his friend. Therefore, Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is that part where either I decide to try to cram it all into one one trip or if we just continue next week. I think what I'm going to do is next week we're going to talk about what it means to have intimacy with God and with others. And we're going to go through that and I I have one point for every letter of the word intimacy. And I'm going to skip over that, not try to cram that into 10 minutes. And I'm going to close maybe just a few minutes early. Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Friends are based on the knowledge that they have of each other. Friends tell each other, all their faults, they, 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 they're, they're close, there's less of a barrier. Our deeds show our loyalty and our friendship. Jesus gave his life. What more could he do? He desires to be our friend. You know, you can't buy friendship. You really know the story of the... the uh, I was going to say Good Samaritan, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. The son who took his inheritance went and squandered it and then came back. The prodigal son, that's the word I'm looking for. He he went and he had money. And the Bible says that he had friends when he had money. And then when he didn't have money, suddenly he lost his friends. Those aren't true friends. That's not the relationship that God describes with us. He says he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. It takes time to prove a friendship. You don't know. My, you know, I loved it when my kids were little. They would go to the park and then they'd come back and be like, look, this is my friend. <laughs> like, you met them 36 seconds ago. This is my friend. Or, or my favorite one is, is they do something and they'd be like, my friend. And I'd be like, what's their name? I don't know. <laughs> like, they didn't even bother to know their name. It's like, well, that's the kid I was playing with. They're my friend. But a good friendship takes time. How long has God loved you? You know, oftentimes, friendship is 
is born out of ignorance and, and is wishful thinking. With those kids, this, this friendship is great. Why? Because in the 36 seconds that we've known each other, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. Right? This is my friend. We've been riding up and down the slide. We're, we're buddies forever. How many of you realize, though, over time, stuff kind of happens? Over time, relationships can sour because of flaws and character. And... But how long has Jesus been pursuing us? There's, there's no wishful thinking about his desire for us. There's, there's no more to be... Re- his character is fully revealed in Scripture. He loves us. Jesus cannot grow any, any richer than he is, and you cannot be any poorer as to change his view of you. Think of that for a second. There is nothing, look at me, nothing that you could do or think that God's going to be like, oh, I think I chose wrong. You realize that? Like, I mean, I kind of don't want to make you think of it, but I kind of do because I want to make a point. Like, just think of what is one of the worst, stupidest, dumbest, raunchiest things you've ever done. God knew. Loved you anyway. He, he, that didn't change his mind. Like, you on your worst day didn't change his mind. The Bible says, in fact, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew your absolute worst and loves you anyway. That's a friend. That is a friend. I want to encourage you. If you have looked at yourself, if you have looked at yourself through that lens of like, I'm a grasshopper, I'm not worthy, I don't believe that God or others would would care about me, would love me, I want to encourage you, throw that out. You see, we we can refuse to be loved. You are loved, but you can refuse it. God longs to be your friend, but he won't force himself on you. We believe in God. We do our best to do and live a a life that is pleasing to him. To avoid the things he tells us to avoid and to do the things he tells us to do. But not because we, we feel like, oh, if I, if I mess up every, even just once, then I'm... No. He says, I've forgiven you. I, I use this example. To those who are married, or if you're not married, just imagine that you are. Okay? Oh, look at the smiles and the giggles. If your spouse informed you that they loved you so much that even if you were unfaithful, they would keep loving you. Would you run out the next day and look for a fair? No. 
if you understand how deeply they love you, it doesn't drive you away knowing that you won't be rejected. You don't try to be rejected. You would be drawn closer. You'd be, wow, I am truly loved. I want to please that person. We don't avoid sin because we think, well, the next time I tell a white lie, God will reject me. No, we recognize he loves me even before, during, and after my mistakes. But I long to respond to that level of love. If you understand that you are loved unconditionally, the appropriate response is to return that love. It doesn't make us want to go do wrong. It makes us want to please that person all the more. 